The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby. Introducing Book Three, World Well Lost. Introduction, written by Mercedes Lackey, read by Veronica Jaguer. Victoria Victrix paused for a moment, checked her watch, double-checked her watch against the time on her laptop. Hard to believe she still had almost an hour. But there was a lot of story to get through before. Better get back on it. Her fingers flew over the keyboard. Still with me, my unknown audience? By this time you've read how it all started for us. How the invasion arrived all over the world, concealed in delivery trucks that disgorged horrors right out of a Hollywood science fiction film. How we learned that the enemy was an old one, because he wore the swastika and was led by a Nazi metahuman everyone had thought long dead. How we also learned that not all of our enemies were human. How Echo, the organization that until now hadn't needed to worry about anything more organized than a few gangs of four or five metahuman criminals, suddenly found itself facing an army and losing. And how, eventually, the seeds of real organization against the society of Ultima Thule came to Atlanta, where in Echo's ruined headquarters the repercussions were only just starting to shake out. And among all those players converging on that southern city, there were a few handful that would make a difference. A handful that could save the world. But first... First we had to save ourselves. And there were going to be some we were going to lose. Battles and people. That's the nature of war. For this was... Is... A war... Make no mistake about it, even though the enemy had evaporated into nowhere, anyone that had any brains knew that the Thulians would be back. Watch Over Me Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin Read by Veronica Jagan The Instrument of the Infinite, the flaming sword known as Seraphim, was walking almost invisibly over the dirt of a playground. Almost, because some of the smallest children could see her. She was wearing her gentlest aspect because of that, and little faces, tan, white, and brown, turned towards her, bright eyes gazed at her thoughtfully, and then went back to the important business of reenacting the battle that had so recently raged here, with small plastic figures, cans, and broken bricks. There was no need for a rescue at this moment, the threads of the futures remained momentarily unchanged, and for as long as both those conditions held, she had chosen to walk this place. The power that could take down a Thulian ship with a single blow was sifting through the dirt at her feet, seeking glass and rusty metal, brick, cement, and wood fragments, and stone. And when she found such things, she reduced them to powder. Step by step, She walked this playground, making the ground safe for children. Once, she felt a tugging at her gown, and turned to find a small one holding up a ruined plastic figure, bright with the colors that had once adorned the meta known as Kid Zero. She took it, and sought in her mind for that fleeting spirit, and found him, 
safe and full of wonder. With a sigh, half of regret, half of relief, she let the fires run over the plastic in her hands, reshaping it until it was restored to playability again. Then, on a whim, she changed its colors. Black jacket and pants and boots, gold star on its chest, red cape, CCCP. Let them know who their new protectors were. She handed it back to the toddler, not noticing she had changed the hair too, to a certain chestnut brown. John Murdoch patrolled his hood as he had before, but slowly, cognizant that he was still not fully recovered. Sometimes she sensed trouble in the futures, dangerous things intersecting with that blankness that was him. She intercepted these things as if he was not strong enough to handle them himself yet, and if he was, she still watched and waited to be sure he would not come to harm. And when she had nothing urgent to tend to, Sarah shadowed him, staying just out of sight, watched him, paid attention to what he paid attention to, tried to read his thoughts from his expression, and still he was an enigma. The blank place in the futures would not resolve, and somehow she shrank from invading his mind to read what was there. But she had to unravel this if she was to find the way out of doom. In the community garden, the seedlings drooped. Planted by inexpert hands, overwatered in sour soil too heavy with clay and urban contamination for healthy growth, they were fighting a losing battle with root rot, and no one who tended them knew that. Seraphim knew. She had seen John Murdoch here, staring perplexed at the unthriving seedlings, knowing something was wrong, but not what nor how to mend it. No one here was a gardener, and this garden meant more than mere food. It represented the hope of the community. Instinctively, John understood this. She came here in the dead of night, stood in the middle of the plot in bare feet, and became more truly herself for a moment than anyone had ever seen her. A pillar of fire, she breathed in the contamination and burned it away, and breathed out healing. The sacrifice had already been made here of time and torn hands and tears. She repaid that sacrifice with a tiny, tiny miracle. The seedlings raised their heads to the night air, strong and healthy again. Then she walked to the garden as she had the playground, speaking to the earth, softening it, and making it fit to nurture. John spoke to the distraught mother, promising he would have a talk with her son. But Seraphim reached the boy first, manifesting in a burst of fire between him and the house where he would find poison for the body and the soul. Her eyes were angry, and her sword was in her hand. This boy was nothing in the futures. They would not change with him in them or out of them. So, oddly, that gave her freedom. She forced him to see her. The blood drained from his face and his legs crumpled beneath him. His mouth worked, but no sound came out. She let him feel the force of her anger. Not the full force, for that would kill him, but enough. And then she was gone. And when his legs would work again, he staggered home and thrust the money into his mother's hands, and went out to mend the roof that she had been begging him to fix for six months.
in the informal daycare center, the old woman left in charge of the preschoolers roused in a scavenged recliner. And children whose eyes had seen terrible things, and who hid hearts wounded by terror, gathered around the glowing lady who had appeared when their caretakers fell asleep. She had summoned them with a glance of her strange eyes, collected them around her, let them cuddle close to her, and emanated compassion and purest unconditional love. She told them things without words, told them stories they would never afterwards quite remember, and slowly their hearts healed. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by authors Mercedes Lackey, Steve Libby, Cody Martin, and Dennis Lee, read and produced by Veronica Jaguer, featuring music by Antara Bay, investigating the Phantom Signal, courtesy of MusicAlley.com.